The wisdom of experts can change your life. As a co-chair at the University of Texas, you've attained this elite status from growing and evolving over the course of your coaching career. In our Learning from Experts podcast, exclusively for the head coaches here at the University of Texas, we're going to accelerate that process. You'll hear from world-class coaches, sports psychologists, and successful people. And occasionally, it's the wisdom that impacts other areas of your life, like your health or your marriage. But here's something really important to appreciate. Timing. Hearing something at exactly the right time makes all the difference. Sometimes it's repetition. Hearing a concept multiple times until it resonates with you. So buckle up. This week's Learning from the Experts is about to begin. Hey coaches, John Mitchell here. Hey, I hope you're doing well. So this week, we're going to hear from the legendary football coach, Jimmy Johnson, winner of two Super Bowls, as well as the national championship in college football. Jimmy is an amazing hard-nosed coach. Listen for how he intended to be an industrial psychologist. Psychology was his major. Then he got into coaching and was truly a master of using psychology on his players. Listen for how he treated players like he wanted them to be rather than how they were. Also listen for Jimmy's approach to getting athletes to focus on the only two things that they can actually control, their attitude and their effort. And in the interview, Jimmy also discusses how sometimes you just need to shout to get your message across. And here's the essence of what you'll learn this week. Life is a state of mind. Jimmy Johnson epitomizes this and uses psychology to get the most out of his players. So here's a question for you. How can you use psychology even more than you already do? You'll get some stimulating ideas listening to Jimmy. So with that said, let's get rolling. And listen to this fabulous interview of Jimmy Johnson by Joe Buck. And remember, as a coach here at the University of Texas, hey, you're living the dream. Wouldn't you agree with that? My guest tonight is a student of psychology and a wizard in the art of coaching. In 1989, James William Johnson was given the impossible task of turning a losing Dallas Cowboys franchise back into a championship team. It worked. Not only did he lead them to back-to-back -back Super Bowl wins, he helped build a dynasty that lasted nearly a decade. He's also the first of only three head coaches to win both a national college championship and a Super Bowl. But before he won three rings, did you know he was nicknamed Scarhead because of the injuries he received playing street football as a kid? Would hustle bridge in college to earn money for his family? Oh, and by the way, he married his hairdresser, who's in charge of grooming that world-class head of hair. <laughs> Tonight, we'll learn about what makes this undeniable icon who he is, a man who once famously wrote this on the first day of coaching the Cowboys. 
PA plus E equals P. Please welcome the one who officially coined the phrase we all know, how about them cowboys, Jimmy Johnson. Have a seat. Now, I have a bone to pick with you because I work with Troy Aikman. He was your quarterback. Uh, he's the guy you molded. I can never beat him down to the lobby for our pickup in the morning because he's always early. Our crowd here should know that Jimmy showed up for the interview before I did today, <laughs> two hours before we're taping this thing. What is wrong with you? I'm programmed to do it that way. and. Uh, Anybody that's uh, you know really associated with me, my friends, people that fish with me, players that played for me, uh, my wife, although sometimes she's late, uh, <laughs> they know if we say 10 o'clock, I mean 9:30, and, and 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 just like players like Dexter Manley and Michael Irvin and all those guys, they know if they're not there early, I leave them. I left I left Michael back in Dallas. I left Dexter Manley back in Stillwater. So <laughs> they had to find their own way to the, uh, to the game. That's, that's, that's fantastic. I, I think there is something there about being prompt, about being responsible, about being ready. It's something that I would imagine was instilled in you as a kid in Port Arthur, Texas. My dad was a hardworking, middle-class guy and worked seven days a week. That's what he taught me, hard work equals success. And uh, people have asked me, say, well, you know, what are you looking for, you know, if you're going to hire a coach? Somebody that knows a lot of stuff. You know, I said, no. Give me somebody that works hard. Give me somebody that's got passion. Give me somebody that's smart. You'll teach them what to do. And hard work pays great dividends. You grew up with one brother, one sister. What, what was family life like for you back then? My brother used to beat the hell out of me. Your sister and my dad used to would beat the, the hell, hell out of no, him. Okay, good. And my sister never got a whipping, you know. No? Back in the South, I guess that's what they did. That's, that's what they did. And, and you mentioned a middle class background. Uh, middle class, lower middle class. It was, it was not an easy I, upbringing. I lived in a little duplex, uh, and my brother and I slept in the same bed, and my sister was in the closet. And, uh, hey, hardworking people, but we had great family. I think that's one reason why I was able to have some success is because of the family that we had. I had a great upbringing. I coached so many players that were off the streets that had no family. And, and that was difficult. And maybe that's why I had so much compassion for them. You know, but I was very, very lucky that I had a great family. I had a great upbringing. And uh, as you look back on your parents' parenting style, maybe specifically your father's. Was he a tough love guy? Was, was oh. he... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was there, yeah. Was there he other... Was, he was a tough love guy, but he loved sports. Uh, both of them were from Arkansas, my mother and dad. And uh, they moved down to Texas, and, you know, I was born in Port Arthur. And my dad used to tell the story, and he loved telling the story. My sister... Uh, she, you know, these chili beans, you know, like, you know, your little chili beans. She yeah. opened up a can of chili beans. And, and so 
I asked for a bite of those chili beans. And my sister says, no, it's my chili beans. And I promise you, I didn't hit her. I, I just kind of like this. And my daddy said, I hit her. He took off his house shoe and I had footprints on my back for about a week. <laughs> uh, I'm fascinated. 14 and 15 years old in a whorehouse down in well, Texas? Well, that was Port Arthur. It was, a, you know, the Merchant Marines. And, I mean, it was a coastal city and a lot of stuff going on down there. And, uh, uh. No, and, and, no, in reality, see, you know, 21 was the drinking age limit. And uh, you could go across the river into Louisiana, and it was 18. But you could go to the whorehouse and get a beer for when you were 14. Right. See? <laughs> and uh, that's and just so, making it happen, right? Yeah, there. yeah. Not that we were doing anything. We didn't have the money to do anything, but we had money. We had a quarter for a beer, you know. And so. But if you had more money, would you have taken the next step? Anybody can speculate, right? <laughs> anybody can speculate. And, and I mentioned in the introduction, though, the whole Scarhead thing. Uh, you... That was my brother. He nicknamed he, you that? He, he was put the scars there. Oh. One time, we were digging for gold with a hammer. <laughs> and we were, he was, you know, digging for gold. And I stuck my head down to see if we'd struck gold. Wow, man, he hit me right in the head with a hammer. If, if I didn't have all this hair, there's scars everywhere. <laughs> and then we would wrestle all the time, and he was always the mean guy. Man, people don't remember these names, but he was Bull Curry, okay? I was uh, Rick, Ricky whatever, and I was the kind of the, you know, the guy that, you know, was the good guy that the audience loved. Bull Curry was the mean guy, and he really played that role well. <laughs> But yeah, he's the one who put the scars there. When you were a kid, what were your dreams? I mean, you're, you're growing up in this family. I, I, I would assume, and this is why I'm asking, I would assume being a coach, an NFL coach, that was the furthest thing from your mind. I think I was like most kids. I had no clue. I mean, I had no clue that I was going to college. Nobody in my family ever went to college, much less graduated from college. But because I was a pretty good football player, I had all these offers. And so mother and daddy saying, geez, you know, he's going to college, you know? And so they were just so proud of me. You must have been a hell of a high school football player, though. I mean, you, I, you I, had a lot of interest. Yeah, I was, I was pretty good. Um, yeah, there, there's old Scarhead right there. <laughs> uh, number 56, uh, with the little number flat top. Number 56, I got the Howie Long. back left, all right. Yeah, I got the Howie Long cut up there. <laughs> had good grades. And, um, uh, yeah, I was fast. I was probably the fastest guy on our team. And we, we had a state playoff game uh, team there in Port Arthur. Yeah, just take me through it, though, because I know you ended up on the offensive line. And it played both ways. Uh, and, uh, you know, offensive guard, defensive lineman, linebacker. Uh, and all these stu schools started coming down and saying, you know, you, know, you want to go to Texas or Alabama or A&M or on and on. And then University of Arkansas came down. And I told mother and daddy, Arkansas came by to offer me a scholarship. And they said, well, you, really, you can go anywhere you want to go, Jimmy, but uh, if you want us to see you play, you got to go to Arkansas. <laughs> so, so I went to Arkansas. It was simple.
And that really was uh, obviously such a formative part of your life. And, yeah. and people have dissected the fact that there you were on the same team as Jerry Jones. Yeah, Jerry was actually uh, a year older than me. There's you top right, there's Jerry bottom left. Right. Oh, yeah, that was a great day. I just come from uh, Mabel's Tavern uh, for that picture. Right? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they called and said, we got to take a picture. And I, you know, I said, oh, boy. You know, this was after everything was over with. This was not during the season. This picture was taken much later. Jerry was on offense, and the, the irony of it all, unless I'm wrong on this, because your names are similar in the alphabetical order, that's why you guys were oh, yeah. roommates on the road. There wasn't some now, we, great bromance. We at the were time. not running mates. Uh, he was rich and I was poor. <laughs> yeah. he, he had a Cadillac Eldorado, you know? And, and I had an old uh, pickup truck. And, and you were hustling bridge to, to make side money? Yeah, you could you know, play for Penny a Point in the student union. And hey, there's all kind of nerds would come in thinking they're pretty good at bridge, you know. <laughs> and, and this jock wasn't going to beat them at bridge. <laughs> right. But you were married, right, by the end of your right. time there I, with a kid. Well, I had to support that kid. <laughs> no. <laughs> with bridge? No, I, actually, my wife uh, taught school. And uh, yeah, but I played bridge for, for spending money. So you're, you're a psych major there, and, right. and it just seems now, knowing you the way I know you from our time together at Fox, it just fits. It fits. You, I know that that was, I feel like you enjoyed the psych major as much as you enjoyed playing football. Yeah. Once I got to college, you know, I thought I wanted to go into, you know, some of the sciences, because that's what I was so good at in school. And so I started in bi biology, and I wasn't real good at going to class. And uh, so I was taking a course in invertebrate uh, zoology. And I, I had a B in the class, uh, but I stopped going. We didn't have any more tests after midterm until the final. So I didn't go the second half of the semester. I stayed in the, stayed in the student union, played bridge, and made some money. And so I went and took the final, and, and it made a C or a B on the final. So I looked at my final score. And he posted it, and he flunked me. I'd never flunked a course in my life. And I went to the professor. I said, well, how, I had a B, and then I made a C. I said, how can you flunk me? And he said, you didn't even attend my class the last semester. I said, you didn't give any test. <laughs> and, and why should I come to the class? And uh, so he wouldn't change his mind. He, he left me with an F. And so I changed majors and went into psychology. And... Uh, Love psychology, love going to the psychology classes. Think about you going to class, getting an F, maybe the burden you carried for your parents. I mean, wanting to prove that you could get this done and get a college degree. You lugged that around with you a little bit? I don't know. You know, I don't know that I ever thought about the future much, you know, you know when I was a kid or even when I was in school. I thought about today, having fun, and what I was going to do tomorrow. And that's about it. And that's kind of how I've lived my life. I've really never thought about way down the road what's going to happen. Um, I, I did know that I wanted my parents to be proud of me. Uh, I, I knew that. And so I didn't want to disappoint them. Uh, but, uh, you know, people, and, and I know just from my psychology days, you've got to have goals and you've got to, you know, keep account of how you're, 
progressing toward those goals and all those things. But that's why I switched majors. I, I enjoyed psychology. I enjoyed people. I enjoyed reading people. I enjoyed motivating people. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed looking at an individual and, and seeing why they're thinking the way they're thinking, uh, why they do the things that they do. And so, you know, back to the class attendance thing, I attended the psychology classes because I enjoyed them. And uh, I thought I was going to be an industrial psychologist. And so I was going to, you know, start on my master's degree. And then I had an opportunity to get a coaching job and I needed the money. And so Louisiana Tech offered me $1,000 a month, a car and an apartment, only for a three-month period. And so I went down there and I coached Louisiana Tech. But this is based on what? what why are they offering you a job? Well, they, the defensive coordinator had come up to Arkansas. We were national champions and undefeated, and so we were really good. So all these colleges would come around and, you know, visit us. And so Jim McKenzie, who was the defensive coordinator at Arkansas at that time, was given kind of a clinic to these coaches. And he said, hey, I, I can explain this, but I tell you, I've got a player that can probably explain it better. He said, Jimmy, come on up to the board. And so I come, went up to the blackboard and I started explaining our defense to all these college coaches. And so Louisiana Tech, their defensive coordinator, had a heart attack. And so he wasn't gonna be able to coach that year. He was gonna coach afterwards when he recovered. So they needed somebody on a temporary basis. So they couldn't go out there and hire a coach you know, for long term. And they said, hey, we know somebody that knows this defense better than anybody. He's a, just got through playing last year. And they said, hey, you want this money to come coach for one season? I said, yeah, 1,000 a month, please. I'll be there in a heartbeat. Were you a hard ass back then? Were you a, were you a... Yeah, I was a hard ass. You know, I, I, I played for a guy by the name of Buckshot Underwood. <laughs> he, he was an assistant coach for Bear Bryant at Kentucky. And, and he was a hard ass. That's, that's who coached me in high school. And so, you know, I had always been part of very demanding coaches and a very demanding family life. And so that was just part of my nature. That's why I'm always early. I mean, that's the way I've been all my life. So when you're at Louisiana Tech, this is merely a fill-in gig. Oh, yeah. Short term. I, I'm still going to be a psychologist. And when did it switch? Because it, it wasn't that long after that that now you're kind of kicking around as an assistant for a long time. I, I had fun. I enjoyed it. And um, I wanted to get better. And I worked to get better. And and that's why I moved so many times. I had opportunities. People wanted to get, pay me more money and give me a better job. And so I kept moving until I had an opportunity to be a head coach at Oklahoma State. Was there anybody you leaned on at the time up the ladder? I mean, I was around so many great coaches. And people say, well, where did you get your coaching philosophy from? Who? And, and, and I'd like to think that you know, I've been able to pull something from everybody that I've ever met. Um, not only coaches, but people. Um, try to learn something from everybody. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say that any one of them, you know, really molded me into what I was. So you get the job at Oklahoma State as the head man. Right. I feel like you thought you were ready by that point. You'd been around a long time. Well, I, I was ready, but, you know, I was still at a lower-tier school. School. I mean, you know, Oklahoma was the school. 
and I'd been an assistant at the University of Oklahoma with Chuck Fairbanks. And uh, Oklahoma State was a struggling, you know, you know, maybe little sister school right there in Oklahoma before Boone Pickens started putting all of his money into the school. And, and we did some good things. You know, we went to a couple of bowl games, and I was coach of the year a couple of times, and it was good. But then University of Miami says, hey, are you interested? Ah, different story. Yeah, different story, and a tough, a tough spot to walk into. You know, you're there, you take over for Howard Schnellenberger, who just won a national championship. Right. Welcome to Miami. That was difficult, wasn't it? Well, the difficult part was that there was a stipulation on the job. You know, it was going to be in June, and they had just had success, you know, with the national championship. And so the athletic director said, you can take this job, but you have to hire all the assistants. You can't bring your people down. And so everybody that worked for me at University of Miami really had been there, and three of them had applied for the job. Oh. And so they, the three that had applied for the job were told 10 minutes before they met me that they didn't get the job. And so I had, I, I'd never been to University of Miami before. I just knew I wanted to live in South Florida. <laughs> right. Yeah. Never been there. Better than Stillwater? Didn't even go for an interview. I, I, you know, I talked to the president on the phone. And I said, hey, I, I'll take the job. Never been there before in my life. But I wanted to live there. And so... I fly down, they pick me up, I go down the, on the tarmac, they go the back way, I go into a room, and, and the athletic director says, your assistants are in this room, I just told them that you're going to be coming in as a new head coach, I'll let you have it. He didn't even go in with me. I went in. <laughs> and good luck. And right. And they were told if they didn't want to work for me, if they didn't like me, they would be paid and not have to work that year. One coach took that option. Now, the rest of them worked for me, but it was hell. I mean, they didn't know me. I didn't know them. I was the head coach. My defensive coordinator quit after we, we beat Auburn in the first game. They had Bo Jackson. Beat Florida the second game. Uh, and at halftime of the Florida game, my, the second game that I coached at Miami, I went in and I just, we were playing poorly and I just ripped into the defense. And the defensive coordinator resigned the next day. And I said, why are you resigning? He said, you ripped my defense. I said, I'm the head coach. <laughs> he said, yeah, but it's my defense. I said, yeah, but I'm the head coach. <laughs> and so I talked him into staying, and, but he ne we were never on the same page. And we got the, in the bowl game, I coached the bowl game because we had problems with the whole staff without a defensive coordinator, without an offensive line coach, without a trainer, without a strength coach, uh, without a quarterback coach, they all left before the bowl game. Uh, and we struggled in the bowl game and lost the game. Uh, but then, you know, after the game, I brought them all in. I said, listen, guys, I said, I know we've been doing it a lot of different ways, but from now on, we're doing it my way. I said, if you don't like the way I do it, if you don't like me, get the hell out of here because things are changing. Um, so, wow. Wow. Yeah, that, the, the first year was a struggle. That, that kind of bad boy reputation was there with the team. Really, that, that had already begun before you got there. Is that Not accurate? really. Uh, you started, my, that, that started under you? I, I think because I let our guys, a lot, you know, we had a lot of street kids. 
we got, had a lot of inner city kids, you know, from broken homes and families and stuff. And so I wanted them to, to enjoy themselves. I wanted them to be free-spirited, but I wanted them to do, it, to do the right thing. And you look at the image of the swagger and the celebrations and the trash talking. Hey, I, I encourage that. I mean, I mean, Jerome Brown, he, I remember we were playing University of Oklahoma in Norman, Oklahoma. And Oklahoma put a knot on my head two or three times when I was at Oklahoma State. Well, I'm a little bit nervous about the game. Well, here comes Oklahoma walking onto the field, and Jerome Brown's over there and said, ah, fresh meat, fresh meat. I'm going, calm down, Jerome. <laughs> Let's not make these people mad, you know? But that's how they performed. Wait, what about the, the Catholics versus convicts? Well, yeah, Notre Dame's the one that uh, coined that phrase. We didn't, we didn't coin that phrase. Okay. But we enjoyed it. The first year was a struggle. The next year was not. The next year, what'd we do? I think we lost the opening game to Florida. And then we, we won like 10 straight. The year after that, oh, we won 11. And then there was Penn State and the Fiesta Bowl. You know? The fatigue's getting off the plane. Well, the fatigue's... Now, people... Back then, a lot of college students wore the camouflage. That was kind of a popular deal. And one of our themes was we're on a mission. What am I going to do? You know, here we're three or four days before the game. Am I going to come down hard on them for, you know, sticking with our theme of we're on a mission? And so I said, fine, hey, we're on a mission. Let's uh, pause right there and okay. watch the video. And now time is running out. The Penn State Nittany Lions are the national champions. Is that still hard to watch with Joe Paterno celebrating? Well, that's the worst coaching job I ever did, and that's the one that I, I really think I could have done a lot better. Uh, we had a problem. We had probably as great a talent as ever been on a collegiate field. A great, great football team. We just dominated everybody. Uh, I think we played like seven or eight teams were in the top 15 and beat them all. And um, Vinny Testaverde got injured before our last ball game, didn't play, uh, wasn't prepared. He, and then for, he had the Walter Camp and the Heisman Trophy and missed a lot of practice. And uh, I should have put the backup quarterback and played. I, it was my fault. Uh, he wasn't as prepared as what he should have been and I should have made a decision uh, to go in a different direction. Did this change your approach going forward? I think I became a better coach um, after the uh, Penn State loss. Um, I, I became more determined. Uh, I paid attention to the little things. Even though we were better, I wasn't taking things for granted. I, I think I coached the little things a, a lot better. And the next year, in the Orange Bowl, you get another shot in a national championship. With 47 seconds to play. Miami 20, Oklahoma 14. Whatever trick play they got here, it better be a damn. They got it on that hook and ladder. Pitch it back. They can't do anything. They do, and this is history. The Hurricanes, an underdog, will win a national championship 
Jimmy Johnson. That is a pure release, isn't uh, it? Well, that video, it was relief and redemption and any other kind of emotion that you might think of. It was, it was a special, special game. Looking back on it, you take over for a legend in Miami and Schnellenberger, then you go to Dallas and you're replacing Tom Landry. I mean, an institution in the NFL, certainly in that city. What was the pressure like taking over for somebody like Landry? I really didn't think about it. Uh, you, know, you know, people don't re realize, you know, Tom, as great a coach as Tom Landry was, and you know, I don't want to take anything away from the, all of his accomplishments. I mean, they were, won three games. You know, they were a bad, bad football team. And so a lot of people were ready for a change, but they weren't sure they wanted, you know, this oil and gas guy from Arkansas and this college coach come in and take over. And, and I just said, hey, just, hey, let us prove ourselves. And I, I really didn't even, it never even phased me about taking over for somebody. The Not one, only were, you, were the Cowboys bad, but they were old, old and, bad. and bad. That's a bad combination. Yeah, they, they, they were slow, <laughs> real slow, <laughs> old, real old, <laughs> and bad. They were a well-coached three-win team. And uh, that's the personnel you inherit. Yeah, I mean, the first time we had a mini camp. See, the old days, uh, pro coaches, I mean, they didn't even have an off-season workout. They didn't even have an indoor lifting facility. It was an outdoor uh, weights. I asked the strength coach, I said, where are all our players? They said, oh, they, you know, it's too cold here in Dallas, you know, outdoor deal. They, have, they work out. I said, how do you know what they're doing? He said, well, I call them every now and then. I said, that's going to change. <laughs> I said, we're going to be working out here four days a week in the off season. So we changed all that. And the first minicap I had with them, I said, oh, my God, I, I think my Miami team could have beat them. <laughs> and uh, I said, I got to change personnel somehow. I, I got to, you know, so Danny White retired, Randy White retired. You know, I started putting them through grass drills, and poor old Tootal Jones. I mean, he was a great, great player. You know, six, seven, he's doing monkey rolls and everything. I, I, I do all these grass drills for him. Uh, and, you know, I found out in a hurry that, you know, I had to get better players and different players. They just didn't even want to do the drills, did they? Well, the ones that stayed had to do them, you know. And, yeah, they, you know, we, you know, we were running sprints with them. We did 110s and... One kicker, you know, stopped, you know, and he said he had asthma, and I told him, I said, asthma feels over there. <laughs> I mean, but, but, but we ended up, we, we brought in a lot of players. And, and Eric, how great, how funny is that, though? I mean, I know it's, it, it and, serves a purpose, but well, nothing you're also asthma. funny when you're I pissed. got a little asthma myself, right. really. <laughs> I mean, nothing against that. I mean, just, but there's no excuses. I don't want an excuse. There are no excuses. You either do it or you don't do it. But you guys go 1-15 that first year. You trade Herschel Walker, which is a big part of the turnaround. But, I mean, 1-15 is 1-15. Does any doubt creep into your head? No. Uh, in fact, it was almost by design. Um, you know, people talk about the Herschel Walker trade, but that was one trade. Uh, we actually, in the five years that I was there, we made 51 trades. That was more than the entire league put together. Um, 
giving an example, the New York Giants in that five-year period made one trade, and that was with me. But I knew if I played the old NFL way of taking your pick wherever it fell and get the best player available, going pick by pick on a team was, that was that bad, we would never be around to see anything good because you know, we couldn't get good fast enough. Evidently, day one of your first effort with the Cowboys on the blackboard was written by one Jimmy Johnson, PA plus E equals P. This is simple, simple for everybody. You have so much God-given talent and you really can't control that. You can control your effort and your attitude. Now, positive attitude plus effort equals your performance. You know, if you control your attitude and you control your effort, your performance is going to go up. So, you know, guys are so big and so fast and so talented. You know, I can't control that. But I can control your attitude and your effort. And if we improve those two things, and any, any individual, in your job, I mean, if, hey, I mean, we, we, we're all, we all get in ruts. We all get in such habits. And, and plus, human nature is, you know, we all get comfortable with the way we've got money in our pocket and things are going good. You know, every now and then we need to pull back just a little bit and say, how can I get better? And how I can get better is the two things that you can control. You can control your attitude. You plant that positive seed in your mind and you work harder. You know, you know, you know, you, you, it, it, it's amazing. People say, well, I, I, I put in my eight hours. You know what? During those eight hours, you know how many other people are working? It's pretty competitive. But you work that ninth hour and that tenth hour and that eleventh hour, there's not a lot of competition. You work a little longer and all of a sudden the competition falls out. You know, hard work overcomes a lot of things. Now, it comes with a price. I mean, my hard work, I mean, I, I spent night and day. I lived two blocks from the Dallas Cowboy complex. And I was, I was over there 24 hours a day almost. I mean, really, I, I, I would go home to sleep a few hours. Um, it comes with a cost. Well, let's take a look at the video from the first time you got to the top after that 1992 NFC Championship game. I know you had said it before this. The cameras are in there, and this is when that great phrase was, uh, was in essence, coined by Jimmy Johnson. Hey, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Every single one of you. I mean, I'm, and I'm not just talking about these last 60 minutes. I'm talking about the quarterback schools, the mini camp, the offseason. Everybody, you did one hell of a job. And the only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? After that, how about those Cowboys thing? We knew, I mean, San Francisco was the best team that year. But that particular day, we were the best. We beat them. <laughs> we were playing Buffalo the next week. We knew we were going to beat Buffalo. Buffalo turned the ball over too much. There was no question. I never, never coached a game in my entire life, entire life, that I was as confident 
as odd I was in that first Buffalo game. We had two weeks to prepare for them. There's no way they're going to beat us. And so I knew by winning that game, we had just won the Super Bowl. Ten-yard line. Aikman a draw to Smith. Coming left. Breaks out. Cuts to the five. Turning. Everybody goes right to the hair right away. I know. Even Jerry came up and was patting you down up there. One of the few times I let anybody touch my hair. <laughs> it's after a championship. Right. Uh, and, and two, if there was a tape of what you and Jerry were saying to each other when you were giving each other a hug at the end of that, I'd love to hear that. Do you, do you have any recollection as to what you two said each, uh, I, I to each other? I think we, we both called each other a sorry SOB or something. <laughs> <laughs> you can, I have no idea what we said. Please. The next year was a struggle. It was a, it was a hard season. It was, I mean, people expected us to win another Super Bowl. Uh, we expected to win another Super Bowl, but it wasn't easy. You know, I mean, the Emmett holdout, the, all the things, overcoming all the different demands of different people. Uh, I, I told Bill Belichick, he, he came down after his first Super Bowl, I and mean, we're close friends. I said, the downfall of every great company country, team, whatever, everybody in the organization is gonna say, what about me? I didn't get enough praise. I didn't get enough accolades. Every secretary is gonna to wanna to raise, every scout's gonna to wanna to raise, every player is gonna want a new contract. I say, that's what you're gonna to have to deal with. The other thing you gotta deal with is human nature when you have success. Human nature is people get, you know, to where they don't work quite as hard. They get pretty comfortable with themselves. And uh, it's hard. That, it, it's no fun for the guy at the top that is demanding. And that has to filter down, though. It comes from you to the yeah. assistant coaches, right. to the star, to the on secretary. And, and that's why it's so difficult for teams to stay at the top. So how do you specifically handle that? I think, you know, with everybody involved, if they are aware of the problems, it's a little easier to overcome. Um, but that doesn't eliminate them. Uh, so you deal with each one of them, and then, again, you've got to be demanding that that doesn't get in the way of what your goal is. And your goal is to be better than you were the year before. And I, all I ask, I, I said, guys, I said, all I ask from you is all you have. You give me everything you got, I'll never ask for more. <laughs> Simple. You know, we had one week to prepare for uh, Buffalo. Troy had had a concussion in the previous game. Uh, he wasn't at his best. Um, and Buffalo had a great team. Uh, and then they had a no-huddle offense and only one week to prepare. I wasn't near as confident the second time as I was the first time. Smith. This is where Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones are going to be dangerous. Together, these guys like coming to the Super Bowl. They want to continue this run. 30 to 13 Dallas. The Dallas dynasty is real. So you go from 1 in 15 in the first year to two Super Bowl championships within the first four. I mean, that, that is a turnaround at least looking back on it like that. I know to you at the time, it didn't seem like it was like that, but that's, a, that's remarkable success. 
Yeah. <laughs> so what went wrong? You've won back-to-back -back Super Bowls. No team's ever won three straight. And all of a sudden, one day, it's like this great game of chicken in my mind. Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones coming at each other, and nobody pulled off to the side, and all of a sudden, you're gone. Joe, I, I've always said, I said, you know, I do things for fun. And I don't look down the road. Today and tomorrow. And I got to where I wasn't having fun. Um, yeah, we won a Super Bowl and won another Super Bowl. Peter King, the day after the Super Bowl, he was in the limo. He said, Coach, are you going to stay a third, you know, three in a row? I said, I can't tell you that, Peter. I don't know that I'm going to stay or not. I, 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 I don't know if I'm enjoying myself. In order for them to go on from here, we have mutually decided that I would no longer be the head football coach with the Dallas Cowboys. One thing that is very evident there, when you are stressed, you eat a lot. <laughs> I, hate, I hate watching that video. <laughs> we just watched that press conference. Do you wish that the whole thing had gone down differently, whether you're there or not? I, I don't know how it could have gone down any differently. Uh, I mean, it, I wanted to leave. I'd already... I'd already taken my car and bought the house and the keys. And, <laughs> and that's what I was going to do the next day. I mean, I, I live for today, and I'm happy today, and I'm going to be happy tomorrow. And I wasn't thinking about day after tomorrow. And a couple days after that tomorrow, you were at Fox. You became yeah. a TV guy. Ed Gorin, uh, actually, when that press conference was over with, I went straight from the press conference and met with Ed Gorin of Fox Television. He said, we're starting a new deal. Fox bought, you know, they got the NFL package. Yeah, he said, we want you to be part of the pregame show. Jimmy, I got to tell you, I had no idea, but he was so fond of you. Well, I tell you what, I've always felt like a coach was judged on how he coached the big game. <laughs> I, I, I know enough to know that you have thoroughly loved television. I, it, it suits you to a T. And, and, and they're lucky to have you. Uh, obviously, you go to Fox, but there's still a little itch to coach because yeah. you go back. And it was with the Miami Dolphins. How did they suck you back into it? Yeah, it, 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 the itch. Um, I mean, I, I had opportunities to go a lot of different places. Um, you know, I met with the you know, Chargers a couple of times, met with the Eagles, met with, you know, met with a bunch of teams and uh, I didn't want to go back. Tampa really you know, wanted me to come to Tampa. And, and I told Rhonda, you know, who we were just dating at that time. I told her, I said, if, you know, if I go back, I want to come, you know, South Florida because I don't want to leave South Florida. I love, love living down there. And uh, I said, so if I go back, I'll go back with the Dolphins. I don't want to I don't want to go and live the rest of my life thinking, what if? You know, and, and if some little something there, you know, maybe I can do it again. Uh, and I, I don't know if it was a mistake or not. I mean, I, I, I very rarely ever look back and say I should have or would have or could have. But, uh, yeah, I went back, and we were in the playoffs three straight years and, and won a couple of playoff games, but we didn't win a Super Bowl, and so for me it was a disappointment. And during that stretch is when you lost your mother. 
And, and that was really, I know, life-changing and a wake-up call for you. But now maybe take us through that as, as you're coaching the Dolphins and, and this happens in your life. Well, again, I, I don't deal with these things very well. You know, Bill Richards and all the, there's and my brother and my sister and my mother and daddy. Uh, people that know me know I don't deal with, uh, with funerals. I don't go to funerals. I don't, you know, I don't go to wedding. I don't go to a lot of stuff, but... <laughs> But uh, I, I, don't, I, don't like rem I don't like having the last memory of somebody that I love uh, in a casket. And, uh, and so I saw Mother, and, and, and it, 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 I mean, I, I lost it. And uh, I, I realized then, I said, geez, you know, I've missed out on so much. And, and that's when I said, hey, I, I got to retire. I, I got to start spending time with Brent and Chad and you know, marry Rhonda and, and do all the things. And, and, and with my dad, you know, that was still there. And, uh, and, and I've done that. You know, I look and see my brother and sister. You know, they flew down about three weeks ago and went fishing with me. And, you know, I, I've, tried to, I've tried to repair some things uh, that I missed out on during those days of doing X's and O's and blocking down and kicking out and, and trying to make everybody around me better other than the people that were closest to me. Really, that's, that's where the jumping off point happened. Yeah, At least I mean, in, in my mind, knowing you, because then you go back to TV, you have this lifestyle you've set up, and there's a picture of you with this little dog, which is really gonna shoot your whole image to hell. Uh, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> there's Mr. Tough Guy. Uh, it's always freaked me out how much you love that little dog. Uh, Buttercup, man. 15 years with Buttercup. And Buttercup passed away. I mean, one of the hardest things ever, I mean, poor old Buttercup, you know, I mean, she couldn't even stand. And, it, it, and you know, the vet had to you know, put her down. And uh, uh, I don't know that anything hurt me anymore. We got two little ones now. And Scruffy and Macy, so... <laughs> Couple little demon dogs. <laughs> I know. I know you know what Howie Long says when a picture like this oh, pops no, up. Yeah, oh, what yeah. does he say? At one time you were feared. <laughs> <laughs> and and we we showed you on the boat. That's kind of your spot. I mean, I, yeah. you're you're up early in the morning. You're looking at the stock market and you're throttled down. Let's go out and fish. Yeah, I love going out there putting. Five or six rods out. Look at that. There's a nice Mai Mai right there. And, wow. Uh, it's so peaceful. I'll put five or six lines out. There's my latest boat there. Um, Named Three Rings. Three Rings, yeah. Belichick, <laughs> Belichick kids me about he's got his five rings and six rings. I said, you got to do it as a head coach. Yeah, you know, but he's got four now. <laughs> and the interesting part is that, that you probably don't know this. There are head coaches that come down. Oh, please. Belichick. College coaches, you talked about Urban Meyer. They, you're like the boat coach whisperer down there. They, they, want, they want your advice. I think we've had like seven or eight general managers. We've had uh, oh, half a dozen NFL head coaches. We've, got, we've had five owners. But they'll come down and just want to talk. And, uh, Do you get the sense that these owners are fishing for you? Uh, they used to, not anymore. Yeah. They know yeah, they, I'm off limits. Yeah, and I've, yeah, they've talked about consult. I don't. If you're a consultant, if you're a general manager, if you're, if you're part of an organization, your name's on it. So you're going to have to be there every day, and I can't do that. Talk about the Hall of Fame in Canton. 
It, it seems to me like that's an omission. That's a miss by the oh. NFL. How much does that bother you, not being in the Hall of Fame? I've never been one for accolades. And don't get me wrong. Everybody likes a little praise. Uh, and everybody likes to be acknowledged for you know, what they've accomplished. But I know what I was able to do. Uh, I, I know my responsibility, and, 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 which is fine. Um, and, and, you know, hey, it is what it is. And not in the ring of honor for the Dallas Cowboys. And that's Jerry's prerogative. He's the owner. He told me a couple of different times years ago, he's going to put me in the ring of honor. He was going to put me in the ring of honor. I think he got upset at some things I said on Fox, which is fine. And... Um, <laughs> So now he doesn't want to do it, which is fine. I'm happy for the, for the players, for the individual. You know, when I left Oklahoma State, you know, people didn't think I was going to leave there. I left there, Pat Jones took it over and won 11 games, you know. Um, left them a pretty good team. I left University of Miami, uh, you know, they won a couple of national championships, so I left them a pretty good team. I left the Dallas Cowboys, they won a Super Bowl. I left them a pretty good team. I left the Miami Dolphins, Wanstead wins 11 games, playoff, you know, a couple of playoffs. Left them a pretty good team. So I know what I was able to accomplish with bringing in talent. And I know what I was able to accomplish, you know, with a lot of other people. And I didn't do it by myself. With a lot of other people, we were able to create an atmosphere of winning wherever we were. Uh, and, uh, and I'm proud of that. Nobody else has to be proud of it. I'm proud of it. What's next? What's next for you? Oh, uh, today I will have fun. Tomorrow I will have more fun. Uh, that's what's next for me. All right. I hold in my hand fun questions that have not been seen by me and certainly not been seen by the great Jimmy Johnson. I'm going to crack open this little card that has been hermetically sealed with one staple from Office Depot. <laughs> and we're going to just throw this at the coach and see what we get. Would you rather have your flight delayed eight hours or lose your luggage? I would lose my luggage, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't lose my luggage because I never check luggage. Uh, you travel light. I travel light. My luggage is always right here. But I hate being late. Uh, you know, you know, people, you know, dreams sometimes, you know, say something about you. You know, 90% of my dreams is I'm late for something. And it's, <laughs> it's just driving me nuts, you know. And, and, and maybe I can't find my pants and where are my pants. And I try to use my cell phone. And I can't find my cell phone. And I'm late. I'm late. And then I wake up, you know. <laughs> yeah. I know the answer to this. Would you rather only be able to whisper or only be able to shout? <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't. I, I'm a lot mellower now okay. than I was. <laughs> I can whisper now. Okay. What if I had asked this question in uh, 1992? We would have never won a Super Bowl. <laughs> Listen, guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> Would you rather never brush your teeth again or never brush your hair again? Uh, I, I can get away with not brushing my hair. 
because I used to have a flat top. I could get away with not brushing my hair. Okay. Would you rather have your own private jet or your own private island? Ooh, the island thing, I've always had little fantasy things on the island thing, but it's Fantasy really, island? The yeah, little, right. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Rourke in tattoo? Uh, the private jet is just a means of getting to where you want to go. So that's not as big a deal. A private island, if you can handle the electricity and the water and all that stuff, I'd be, I'd be big on that. You're just a, you're at the, you're a loner, aren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely a loner. My wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, God, that, I think we've pretty much exhausted every part of your fantastic life. I've got no secrets in my life. I will say, people that know me, they, they say two things. And, and said it for many years. I don't lie. And I have no secrets. My life's an open book. Jimmy Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. Coaches, that was so enlightening. I hope you found it beneficial to you. So let me share with you three takeaways to just think about. So here's the first one. Jimmy Johnson was a student of psychology. As you heard, he was going to be an industrial psychologist. That was his career plan because he was fascinated with the psychology of people. And that carried over into how he built his culture with his teams he coached. As an example, when he was at Miami, they were preparing for the national championship game. He had all of his players wear camouflage clothing. Boy, that's pure psychology. And here's the second takeaway. Positive attitude plus effort equals your performance. When you control your attitude and you control your effort, your performance goes up. Jimmy is big on focusing on what you can control. And what he expects from his players is for them to give him everything they've got. Nothing more and nothing less. Pretty simple. And then here's the third takeaway. He made 51 trades in his first five years with the Dallas Cowboys. More than the whole NFL combined. This played into Jimmy's strength. He was a great talent evaluator. Once he had the talent, he could get the most out of the players. But he saw that talent was the fundamental raw material. And here's the action step. As I just mentioned, Jimmy was a great talent evaluator. Maybe you can up your game in that regard. What do you think? Part of evaluating talent is understanding the psychological makeup of each player and seeing if the player has what it takes psychologically to put in the work and to bring out their full talent. So how do you really do that? It may take a little deep thinking on your part, understanding more detail, fundamentally, what you're looking for psychologically with your players. Could psychological testing help you? Just think about that. Until next time, hook them.